Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. In any case, let's move on to Christmas because you have now officially four weeks from right now until we are sitting around the Christmas tree, which means dudes in here, you got like another two weeks before you have to really start getting serious about getting your Christmas presents. Because some of us procrastinate really bad. I'm super proud of myself. I bought all my wife's presents already this weekend. I'm ahead of the game. I'm crushing it at this whole husband thing. It's going to be great. I just got to say it. She's not even here to, to deny it. So it's going to be awesome. But my wife is officially excited because it is now Hallmark season. Which means we now have four weeks. 28 days of endless Hallmark movie madness. Oh no, oh no. It gets better, trust me. My wife loves Hallmark. Bethany, our office admin, loves Hallmark. Like, like she started watching Hallmark three weeks ago. My stepmom loves Hallmark. I am surrounded by Hallmark nuts, okay? It is crazy. Like, it is all over the place. My wife will love to get cozy, fuzzy socks on, grab a Dr. Pepper or a cream soda, nestle into my comfortable shoulder on the couch as we dive into the latest release of Hallmark. Does it have the same actors and actresses? Yes. Does it take place on some picturesque small town where everybody loves each other? Yes, it sure does. Does it have the same exact plot? Yes, again. Do we still watch it? Yes, we do. We do. And we can guarantee there's going to be the arrogant, dapper, handsome guy in the city that she has to leave for a second because she gets fired from her job because it's a terrible situation where she just happens to run into the gruff yet wickedly handsome guy from her high school. Oh, I didn't see you here. Surprising, right? And all of a sudden now they, like, she squares off on him because something happens. And then she has to go back and apologize. And they have this electric chemistry. And everyone in town is talking like, oh, we always knew you guys would be back together. And it all comes to a wonderful conclusion when they kiss underneath the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve with the snow coming down. I have to tell you, this blessed me insanely well. A friend of mine within this church sent me something to get me through this Hallmark season. He said, here's a different way to look at Hallmark movies. A Hallmark movie backwards. I watch a woman in an ugly Christmas sweater dump her loser small town boyfriend to pursue a law career in NYC where she lived happily ever after in pencil skirts and amazing shoes. Is that not the greatest thing? It's so, so accurate, right? Like, like Hallmark movies, as much as I love to give them beef, as much as I love to do it, I think it's warranted, but here's the deal. Like, my wife loves them, and Bethany loves them, my stepmom loves them. Clearly, a lot of you in here love them, okay? So I'm not judging anybody, but here's what I had to ask the question, because as someone who likes surprises, someone who likes pizzazz, someone who likes a little bit of violence in their movies, um, I'm like, what what brings you coming back to Hallmark every single year? Because it's a different title. It's a different scene. But the exact, you can literally 
copy and paste it every single year. So I had to ask the question, like, why do you like these so much? Like, like what, like, like, for real, honesty session, what is the draw behind a Hallmark movie? And here's the overwhelming response I got from the three ladies who love them. They always said, it just feels so good. It just feels so good. Like, you know what's going to happen. You know the good guy is going to win out. You know true love is going to win. You know everything is just going to fall into place exactly how it's supposed to be. And it just makes you feel good. Like, you just watch it, and it just it feels good to watch. You don't need variety. You don't need surprise. You don't even need different actors. You just need the same ending because you know it's going to make you feel good, right? It's just, it's one of those things. And I, I, I think about this Hallmark movie, and wouldn't it be real nice if that's how life was? Like, you just knew at the end of the day, in your present context, what you're going through, what you're walking through, would just be picturesque and perfect when it's all said and done. It'd be nice to know if the thing you're walking through would actually turn out okay. It'd be nice to know if the relationship dynamic you're going through would actually make it through to the end and true love would win out. All these things that we see in Hallmark, it would be nice if the same thing applied to, to real life. And I think as a realist, as someone who's more of a logistical thinker, someone who's very analytical, I think that's my beef with Hallmark is because it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like this matches real life. It feels a little too good to be true. Because in Hallmark, there are setbacks. There are conflicts. But they last like four seconds. Like the, 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 the high on her horse girl ends up hiding a secret from the guy she's secretly falling in love with back in her hometown. And she insults his, how much money he has and just all this other thing that goes on. And then all of a sudden, like it lasts for literally four seconds. And they come back together and everything's good and kosher, right? That's not real. It's not. Like, we walk through tough things. We talk through really, really difficult life circumstances. And so when I look at Hallmark, the reason I have issues with it is because when we go through life, we don't always have the luxury of knowing this storm, this season, this difficulty is going to last for X amount of time. We don't know that this relationship that's been fractured is going to come back into unison and everything's going to be perfectly fine. We don't know these types of things. And it can be kind of exhausting. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a man named Elijah. And Elijah's a prophet. He's someone I've preached about before. He's someone I've talked about. But if you've never heard of the name Elijah, you've never heard of 1 Kings, it's a book in the Bible. But Elijah is the first, he's first mentioned here in chapter 17. And this man as a prophet is actually being led by God to go and do something crazy. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse seven, or chapter 17, verse 10. So he, he being Elijah, went to Zarephath. Don't ask me to pronounce that more, because I, I still stumble over every time. Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Probably the last time he asked for biscuits. 
Like, like honestly, like, like put yourself in this situation. Elijah is walking up to, to ask this woman for a drink of water. It's Israel. It's hot and a little bit of a snack. And she comes out and says, um, sir, uh, I'm going to gather what little I have. We're going to go eat this and die. Talk about an awkward interaction, okay? Like you're just looking for a bite to eat and this whole dramatic scene drops in here. But I think what's so significant is when you look at the whole context of this story, what I want to walk us through this morning is Elijah was actually just following what God had told him to do. In verse 9, God had said to Elijah, hey, you're going to go to this town and a widow is going to feed you. And so he goes to the town, finds the widow, and I can imagine God is telling him he's going to happen. So he goes up there and he's expecting like just a platter of provisions. Like, cool, she's going to feed me. And so when she comes back at him and says, I got nothing, get him out of my face basically. It's probably like a little bit of a dramatic step back. Like what in the world is going on? But when I look, when I flip the script and I look at the women and I try to put the, myself in the woman's shoes. I can tell she is at the end of her rope. She's had enough. She cannot take this anymore. And here's how I know how. She was gathering sticks because to make bread, she needed a flame. She needed something to cook the raw dough. So the fact that she had to find stray sticks around town to me tells me she had zero money. She couldn't even have enough money to buy firewood. So she had to find loose sticks anywhere she possibly could to be able to feed herself. The second thing I know is at the time there was a drought. And in Israel, no water means no food. Because if you don't have any water, you can't grow any crops. If you don't have any crops, you can't eat. It's a problem. And the third one is she we we find out she is a widow. She has one income. She's taking care of her and her son by herself. All of these things compounded and when you look at the context, when you look at what's going on, you can just tell that this woman has been grinding. She has been toiling. She has been just taking it on the chin time after time after time, just trying to put one step in front of the other, just trying to make it through this season, just trying to get there. And she's discouraged. She's exhausted. And the final straw that broke the camel's back, she is just trying to desperately hold her life together and this man an out-of-towner a person she doesn't know comes up and asks her for some bread i have to imagine that is just the thing that just sent her over the edge the thing that going i can't take this anymore i am on my literal last string trying to just feed my son and i just one last meal and here comes this out-of-towner how can he ask that of me? How can he possibly think that this is something that's okay? Please don't raise your hands about this, okay? But I have to imagine, I'm just going to just guess here. We've been in situations with family, with friends, especially around things like, I don't know, Thanksgiving, where tensions were a little high, okay? Not everybody agreed all the time. There was some kind of like dissension amongst the table and everyone was kind of like, happy to be here, you know? Like, We've been there, right? We've been navigating these types of things like where it's going, okay, I don't know how this is all going to work, but I have to imagine to paint this picture for you, this woman had had it together until this comes and she snaps. 
look, dude, I'm going to have this last meal with my son, and then we're going to die because we got nothing left. So I don't know what to tell you. Just trying to follow what God's telling me to do, okay? I have to imagine Elijah's just as confused as she is because she's waving the white flag saying, I can't do this anymore. And I think we've all been in that situation where we feel like we are at the end of our rope. We feel like we've had enough. The stress, the emotional weight, we've been asked too much. We've been required of too much. We've been demanded to do things. We've been fighting and struggling for so long. We just can't fight anymore. And holidays are one of those situations where sometimes it feels like that's really aggravated. It feels like that's really, really difficult. So today, like I told you, I haven't been giving my messages titles, but I feel like this one's very, very pertinent. And I'm going to call it Hope for the Holidays. Because the tagline for every Hallmark movie is Home for the Holidays with Vanessa Hudgens in 27 movies. But I got hope for the holidays because what I hope and pray is that this year, I can't guarantee that when you walk into your living room, when you walk into your context, that everything in your life is going to be perfectly unified and in unison. I know there's hurt. I know there's loss. I know there's things that you're walking through on a very, very real basis. And I know that stepping into it in the holiday season can feel so much worse. And so I'm not going to stand up here and say, you just got to have hope about it and just figure it out because your situation might not change. But here's what I will say is that I believe you can step into a very difficult situation, but with the proper perspective and the proper hope, you can walk through it differently. Your situation, your circumstances don't have to define the outcome of your experience. You don't have to step into holidays knowing it's going to be tough because this is happening or that's happening, and then you therefore know it's going to be a junky Christmas. You don't have to do that. You might still have to navigate those things, but let me tell you something. I believe there is hope for all of us, regardless of what our perspective looks like, regardless of what our situation is telling us. Because here's what I do know in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9. Just before Elijah rolls into town, this is what God is telling him. Go at once to Zarephath, no idea, in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. You would think that if God's telling Elijah this, the woman would be on the same board. She'd be on, you know, under, understanding like, okay, if God's telling me that a widow's going to feed me, I would just reasonably assume that God kind of told her, like, hey, you got to feed this dude. You would think, anyway. But there's something about this verse that when I was studying this this week, I was just confused. Because by all accounts, unless you guys tell me differently, this woman feels a little confused. I don't get the warm fuzzies that when, when Elijah asked her for bread, she was like, oh, yeah, I knew this was coming. Like, like, her response was intense. It was dramatic, which makes me feel like she wasn't quite on the same page with Elijah, which again confuses me because Elijah was told by God, the widow's going to feed you. That confuses me. So there's two thoughts I have. One, God told her, hey, you got to feed this dude. But the reality of her situation, the fact that she had no food left, that fear just kind of had her push that aside. But the second thought is that God was stirring in her heart, but the weight of her situation kind of made her deaf to the whisper of God. 
Here's what I mean by that. I think there are times in our life when God will stir our hearts with dreams, with life trajectories. He will plant things inside of us that are so premature and so early that we don't even realize they're there because our present context, our present reality isn't conducive to it. My life plan, for those of you who know my story, I was not supposed to be here up on this stage making corny jokes to you. That was not part of my plan. But as a senior in high school, my life was kind of, there was, there was a sh- shifting of the tide. I came to know who Jesus was when I was in eighth grade. I went to youth group for the, for the first time in 10th grade beyond religion class. And I was like, this is way different than religion class. This guy's crazy. Kind of goes to the territory. But we had this crazy, crazy experience in youth group, and I really came to know who Jesus was. And so if you fast forward into 12th grade, I became a youth leader of students. And so as a senior in high school, I was kind of discipling and talking with sixth graders, and that was really great. I really, really loved it. I would wake up on a Wednesday morning stoked to get to church, so excited to get to youth group and see my youth pastors and see my friends and be able to pour into people. I could not wait for Wednesdays to come around. And I would look at my youth pastors and go, they're awesome people. But I never once in my life thought at that point in my life, I might want to go into ministry someday. Like not once, not a single, single time. Because in my head, my plan was to be a dentist. My plan was to be a doctor and look really smart and have a sweet title. Dr. Mom just has a sweet ring to it. And the pay's not all bad either, okay? I was excited to be a doctor. I was excited to do that. I I strategized. I worked my tail off in high school. I had a great GPA. I pursued the right opportunities. I never once considered that I would be stepping into ministry at that point in my life because I had my context. I had my view. I had my reality. But I firmly believed from the moment I was born, God had me stepping onto a stage to be a pastor. But I didn't see it at the time because my reality did not match it. God may have planted that dream, might have planted that trajectory of my life in me from the moment I was born. But it took a while for that dream, that idea to come into a reality. I love looking at the story. Because you look at the trajectory of both of these two people coming together, you can tell that God had them coming together for a very, very unique reason. You know the woman. You know her context. You know what she's walking through. You and Elijah had to walk through before he stepped into this situation. We enter in 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah, a prophet of God, has to go to the king, who's not a very nice person. He's very mean. He likes to kill people, literally. And he has to go up to this king and say, hey, just so you know, God's uh, going to send some judgment on you because you've been kind of turning your back on God for a long, 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 long time. And Israel is God's nation. And you've been, as the king, been leading them kind of astray. You've been having them chase after this fake God called Baal, who is considered the weather God. So they would pray to this weather God and they'd bring rain and all the crops would be going great. So Israel at this time is thriving. Because of Baal. So Elijah comes in and says, hey, um, Ahab, the king, just so you know, um, God, Yahweh, the God that all of us know and love and serve, um, that God, uh, he's going to you know, kind of show you something. 
So for the next three years, by the way, um, there's not going to be a single drop of water, not by dew, not by rain. There's not going to be a single morsel of water until I say so. You might imagine the king didn't take it super well. He was a little upset, okay? He was a little, little intense. And so Elijah escapes from there, goes to a ravine, sits there for a little bit. And so God is, is in verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 17. God says, hey, I want you to go to this ravine where you can hide. There will be fresh water there. And here's the kicker, okay? God says, um, I'm going to provide food for you with ravens. Ravens are going to bring you food, like the bird ravens. Not like the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are going to bring you food day and night. And sure enough, if you look in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'd love for you to go look at it and read it yourself. Every morning and every night, I can just imagine this flock of birds comes in, drops off Burger King and flies away. Every single day, morning and night, these, these ravens are providing for Elijah because God was telling him what to do. And he was obeying it step by step by step. But what happens is after a little bit, the ravine dries up. And so in verse, I believe, five or six it is, all of a sudden, God gives him the next step of the plan. Hey, I need you to go to Zarephath. There's going to be a widow there who's going to feed you. And what we don't realize at the time is that Zarephath actually was enemy territory. There was a whole bunch of bad dudes in Zarephath. In fact, Queen Jezebel, who's delightful, Ahab's wife, she's mean, evil, corrupt. That's where she's from, by the way. So Elijah is simply following God. He's simply saying, okay, God, whatever you want, I will do. Do this, yep, I'll do that. Go here, yep, I'm going there. Say this to that guy, yep, I'm doing that. And step by step, God's leading him through different things. And God's coming through and providing for him. But the thing is, he doesn't have the full picture. He doesn't have the full plan. He's following it step by step by step. But here's where that lands us today. Here's where I really, really want to leave this with you in your holiday season. Verse 13, after this woman pours out her heart, says, I have no food. I'm just going to make this last meal and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the land. See that word, then? To me, that saying that Elijah's asking her by saying, hey, don't be afraid, but take everything you got left. Everything. Make it, as you said you would. Bring it to me first, and then feed your son and yourself. Do you know how big of a leap of faith that is? Do you know how big of an intense request 
and ask. That is something that is intense. That's something that's very, very intentional. And that's where today I believe there's a difference between being good and being obedient. Because being good would be to say, hey, I'm going to make some bread. I'm going to cut it up into three pieces. We're going to eat it all together at the same time, and life will be good. That would be the safer option. But Elijah, on behalf of God, was saying, I want you to make the bread and give it to me first. And then feed yourself. What I have found in my life is sometimes the things that God asks of us are so scary that it's easy to shy away from them. It's easy to step and go, I, I don't know how I can make this. I don't know how I can give this. I don't know how I can do this because what I have isn't enough for what I have the way it is. And I believe the echo here is Elijah saying, hey, don't be afraid. If you give this to me first in an act of faith, the jar of oil, the jar of flour you have will not empty if you take the step of faith and obey what God's calling you to do. Want to know what happened? Here we go. Verse 15 and 16. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I think the reason we can have hope for the holidays is because we can understand that while we don't live in a hallmark world, while we don't live in a world where everything is going to be all good all the time, we do live in a world in which God knows us so well and so distinctly that he will never leave us alone. He will never keep us from being okay. I'm not going to say God's going to keep us from walking through difficult things and difficult situations, but when I look at this story, I see how God had set up this meeting for so long, very, very intentionally. For so long, this man named Elijah was sitting next to a ravine, being fed by ravens, having no idea what the next couple of years are going to look like for him. All he knows is that God said, go here, and he went there and had to wait for the next direction. As someone who's a control freak like me, not knowing the full plan is stressful. But step by step by step by step, God was moving Elijah in such a unique time that when Elijah comes into connection with this widow from Zarephath, this woman's at the brink of a breakdown. She can't take anymore. She can't do it anymore. But God knows her enough to know that when he would send a man named Elijah and ask her something that would stretch her faith beyond all measure, he knew so well that this would be the moment where God could truly, truly show her that I see you, I'm with you, and I will not forget about you. Had this interaction happened a few years ago, she might not have been at that point of need. But here's what I have found in my life as we walk into this holiday season. When we get to the end of our road, when we get to the end of the line, we can't take it anymore, we've struggled for too long, the pain's too much, the responsibility's too much, and we feel like we're crumpling, we feel like we're dying underneath this, we can't do it. When we finally say, I give up, that is when God goes, finally, finally. Because when you reach the end of your rope, that's when God can really start to thrive. 
and we stop trying to fix it ourselves, we try to stop to, to mold it and fill that need inside of us, we just stop trying to fill the need that God wanted to fill the whole time. That is when he thrives. Because he has full, full reign. This woman had nothing left. Nothing left at all. But she had a choice. Elijah spoke the promise before she did anything. Hey, don't be afraid. If you do this, you'll never run out of food again. But that middle, having to step into what God's calling you to do without fully, fully knowing what's going to happen is a scary, scary step. But I found in my life, everybody, that obedience brings blessing every time. When God's calling you to do something, as small or as big as it might be, when you step into what God's calling you to do, when you say yes, no matter how scary, no matter how confusing, no matter how whatever's going on, when you say yes to him, it always brings blessing. Whether that's healing of a of relationship, whether that's just peace in your heart, whether that's provision and financial blessing. I don't know what that blessing looks like, but I've never, ever, ever stepped into something that God's called me to do and never been taken care of. In the moment, it's scary. In the moment, it's intense. But I can tell you, with each step I take more and more towards the thing that God's asked me to do, the more assured I feel, the more confident I feel, the more at peace I feel. Because I know that I'm not in this alone. I'm not walking through this battle by myself. Because God's been calling the shots the whole time. And he's going to continue to call the shots. When that woman was sitting at her kitchen sink, or wherever she was, and she dumps out that last bit of flour and pours out that last bit of oil and she's rolling it into a, a ball, ball of dough and puts it on the fire. I can only imagine the, the, the dialogue in her head going, am I being crazy right now? Can I do this? What if God doesn't provide? What if this doesn't happen? What if this guy's an imposter? What if I'm crazy? Those doubts had to have been coming through her head. But when she says, all right, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know why, but I'm trusting you and says, here you go. The blessing came. The rest of the flour and the oil was there. This holiday season, I believe that God's going to call you to do something that might make you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe that means you bury the hatchet with somebody that has been going on for a long time. Maybe that means you reach out and you do something because the weight you've been carrying, the grief, the thing that you feel has been too much and you can't take it anymore, so you just need help and God's been calling you just to call that person to, to reach out for help and you've been resisting it, maybe now is the time where you say, all right, God, whatever you want to do. Maybe your act of obedience this holiday season is to simply walk with him. Doing things for God isn't always the grandiose big moments where you empty your pockets and say, fine, God, have everything. Sometimes obedience means saying yes to the small things he asks you to do every single day. Would you put your phone down and spend five minutes with me? Would you crack open the Bible you said you were going to crack open a week ago? 
would you be real instead of orchestrating these perfectly articulate prayers would you be real and ask from your heart and actually need me sometimes obedience is not the grandiose it's the small and this holiday season the reason you can have hope for the holidays is because God's never left it the whole time but it's a matter of being obedient to what he's calling you to do in Luke chapter 10 you have two women Mary and Martha Jesus is coming over for a meal. And for those of you who hosted Thanksgiving this week, you know what I'm talking about. You're running around the house vacuuming like crazy. You got lines in the carpet. You're making sure your company makes you feel super, super good, right? You want them to think you have everything together all the time. You gotta make the house still clean. Jesus is coming over. So the two sisters, Mary and Martha, Martha is going like crazy. She's making the meal. She's cleaning the house. She's getting everything ready. And she's getting mad at her sister Mary because Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Would you help me already? And Jesus says to Mary, looks at Mary, says to Martha, essentially and says, this is more important. Doing things for God is not nearly as important as spending time with God. They're one and the same, but this, this season of my life as we step into chaos and busyness and sun is down quicker than earlier quicker than earlier quicker than normal it can be a lonely time so what God's been stirring in my heart is I'm never going to leave you if you would just spend time with me and you would actually pray from your heart you would actually come and spend time with me quality time not obligation you would just spend time with me and actually let me into your life we'd have hope. We can have hope for the holidays, not because our circumstances tell us we can, but because God says two promises I want to leave with you today. The first one is, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There's power in knowing God's in your situation right now, even if you're running away from him. He's with you. Never will I leave you, nor forsake you. And here's a word I believe that, someone had, that God has for somebody in this place today. He who began a good work in you will see it through. We're all a work in progress. We all make mistakes. But every day we wake up is a new beginning. Every step we take is a fresh start, thanks to Jesus. So as you get ready for Christmas, as you step into a busy season of work, as you step into difficult situations with family or situations, my prayer for you this season is that instead of trying to just muscle your way through it and put your emotions on your back and bury them and stuff below, you'd welcome God in and say, all right, God, would you help me with this? Would you direct me with this? And as he leads you to step out and do something, do it. Because obedience brings blessing. Would you pray with me this morning? There are three things I want to pray for each person in this room, each person watching online. I want to pray for your holidays because I know for some of us, holidays are a reminder of tough stuff. So I want to pray for you that you would feel love in a new way this holiday season. I want to pray for those in this room who feel like God's been stirred on your heart to do something crazy. 
obedient and step out in faith. And lastly, I want to pray for someone who maybe need to say yes to Jesus today. You've been running. You used to have a faith, but you don't anymore. Maybe you've never had a faith, but today is your day. So God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that when we walk through any season of our life, good season or bad season, difficult season or easy season, whatever we walk through, God, you are with us through it all. Leading, guiding, directing, offering comfort. So God, today in this place, as we walk into another holiday season, I pray, God, that you would fill us with your love, your joy, and your comfort. But God, as that transpires into us being obedient, as that steps into us doing something maybe, or or stepping out in faith, or giving, or loving, or whatever that looks like, God, would you help us just say yes to you? Would you give us that assurance that you're with us? Would you give us that strength to step out? Would you give us that boldness, God, that we're not alone? But God, that all comes because of what you did on the cross for us. That you died so we can have a fresh start. That nothing we would ever do would ever be too far gone from you. So God, for those in this place who want to rekindle their connection with you, they want to make it right with you, may they know, as it says in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth that you are Lord and believe in our heart that you raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. As we say yes to you, God, pray you'd give us fresh vision, fresh dreams, and you would show us, God, that you've got us. You've always have. That you'll provide like you did for the woman. Provide like you did for Elijah. You provide like you did for every single person throughout the pages of Scripture. We trust you this holiday season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.